You're listening to the DCC Sermon Podcast. For more information on Dayton Christian Center, you can visit dcctx.church. Now let's join in for this week's message. It's great to be here. I'm excited about it. I've been looking forward to it, and I'm thankful for the opportunity. I don't know if you guys realize how lucky we are here at DCC to have a pastor that's willing to share his pulpit. See, I've been around a lot of different ministries over time, and I can tell you that getting to hear from so many different people at one church is is really rare. You know, most of the time they just trot the same old guy out there every week, and that gets dry. But Pastor David, he's not just willing, he's eager to share because God has given each of us a different anointing, a different flavor, and a different perspective. And getting to know Jesus that way through so many different voices and from so many different angles and through so many different testimonies, Kent, it's such a blessing. And uh, every single Wednesday, I learn something new. These messages that we've been hearing, are uh, they're just soggy with revelation and truth from the Bible. I mean, it just drips off every word. And so uh, if you're not coming on Wednesday nights regularly and you're listening to this on the video, man, you're missing out. I love that DCC isn't a person with his face out on the sign. DCC is a community and we all get to learn and love on each other. That's my favorite thing about this church. One more thing before I get started. Baby, would you stand up? (laughs) I got you. Stand up. I'd like to recognize my wife. Would y'all give her a hand? Tina can be passive aggressive sometimes, and she doesn't want to have to ask me for anything, but this Sunday night, she did exactly what I've always wanted her to do, and she kind of looked over at me real sweet, and she leaned her head over and batted her eyes at me, and she said, baby, could you please do me a favor? And I said, nope, I got to get ready for my message. So so I appreciate you helping me get ready this week. I I couldn't be doing this without you. Are y'all ready? Game night, cards, board games, dominoes. It's popular with church groups at family gatherings because they're good, clean fun most of the time. But some of us, especially here at DCC, we get more than a little competitive. And if you're not careful, game night can get real serious real quick. I like all this knowing laughter. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Have you ever gone to game night with a new group of people and made more enemies and friends? It always starts out the same. There's lots of smiles and lively conversation. And then somebody inevitably asks what you're going to play. And maybe because it's your first time, you get to choose the game. And you say something like, well, my son's favorite game is Monopoly. And and they say, oh, really? That's our favorite game, too. Let's, Let's sit down and play. And you flash a grin and hope nobody saw it because Monopoly's not your kid's favorite game. It's yours. And you know deep down that you're about to change somebody's life with that lucky thimble. I mean, I hope their money is laminated because they're going to need it to wipe all their tears. But what you don't know is that you just got suckered into six hours of hell, the likes of which you have never experienced in your life. You thought you were going to put on a clinic, but they've got a few house rules. And those house rules almost always sneak in without a warning. I learned that from my wife, by the way. They're conveniently forgotten because, oh, I'm sorry, we just thought everybody played Monopoly that way. And when there are house rules, let me tell you something, don't you dare reach for that little white piece of paper. There is no quicker way to start a fight. But maybe today you've got your rubber boots on, so you decide to go ahead and step in that. The rules say, now listen, 
My great-grandma, Pearl, may she rest in peace, taught me how to play Monopoly. My grandma played it this way. My mama plays it this way. And now I play it this way. Are you trying to tell me that Grandma Pearl does not know how to play Monopoly? So in order to keep the peace, you put the rule book away and you lose slowly and painfully because with the house rules, the game just isn't the same. House rules have to start somewhere. They probably begin with someone who knows all too well how to play the game. They develop opinions about the rules that trip them up and they bypass them or they start inventing and adding their own ideas to compensate for their weaknesses in the game. And if these rules prove popular and stick well enough to get taught to a second group of people, it's likely that that new group That's the way they were taught the game. They never knew how to play it correctly in the first place. The house rules are a part of their native understanding. And worse still, they think they're doing it right all along. And they're emotionally attached to playing with those house rules because of their relationship with the person who taught them. I want to ask you tonight, is it possible that we're playing church here in America with house rules? Following a 2,000-year-old religion that revolves around a family of Arab Bedouins is a little crazy, if we're honest. But you know what's crazier than that? Making up a bunch of my own nonsense or following somebody else's made-up nonsense and pretending it's the same religion and expecting the same results. The early church grew explosively, even under intense persecution. We can read about all the horrible deaths that the apostles face. And here we are in America with our religious freedom and our house rules Christianity and our empty churches trying to figure out where we went wrong. Are we even playing the same game anymore? I submit to you tonight that if the American church wants to see change, we're going to have to swallow our pride, let go of tradition, and we're going to have to get out the box. We're going to have to find that little white piece of paper inside the box. This is our little white piece of paper. These are the instructions that tell us how to play the game. The Bible is absolute, unending, and unchanging truth, period. It doesn't change with the culture. It's not subject to people's opinion, and it doesn't matter how impossible it seems. This is what God requires of us. And there's no other way to play the game. It's all right here in clear and simple language. It's mostly without caveat and condition. And most importantly, the Bible tells us just as much about how we should live as how we shouldn't. You know, if a piece of paper like this says, well, don't do this and don't do that. Well, that doesn't tell me much. How am I supposed to play the game? You know, how many dice do I use? The Bible tells us all about all of it. It's It's not just a rule book in the sense that, you know, don't do this, don't do that. The Bible tells us how to live. Nick did a fantastic job not too long ago going over the authority and the relevance of the Bible in part three of his Get Understanding series. I don't really feel the need to rehash all of the, uh, all of the uh, backstory about why the Bible is what it is, how many books are in it, why the Apocrypha is not included. Nick went over all that, and it's available on our DCC website. So if you have deeper questions about the authority of the Bible, I encourage you to go back and look at that. It's available on the website. But I do want to cover a couple of things to refresh our memories. 
2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and to equip his people to do every good work. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Isaiah 48 says, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. <laughs> Let's take a little rabbit trail for a minute. When we really get a handle on the absolute authority and the infallibility of the word of God, there's a lot of safety in that. I have a very personal understanding of authority and the chain of command from my time in the military, so I get a little tickled when people ask what I think about the Word of God. Sometimes I'll quote scripture in a discussion about a particular subject, and people are just dumbfounded, like, did he really, you know, part of that's my delivery that I probably need to get a little bit better on, but, you know, they just start stammering and hyperventilating, and, and they get angry with me. Do you really believe that? Do you actually think that? And... I don't get angry about it. I just kind of smile and laugh to myself because it doesn't matter what I think about it at all. God said it, and that's the way it is. You can get mad at me all day, but you need to make like Lieutenant Dan, and you need to go have a shouting match with God himself because I didn't decide this. This isn't, this isn't my thing. I'm just the messenger. And when my non-Christian friends want to tell me about all their marital problems and full transparency, we have plenty of our own struggles I always tell them how good it is to have that outside authority in the Bible that Tina and I are both submitted to. I don't have any of my own ideas about the way marriage is supposed to work at all. It's all right here. That's right. This is the only way to play the game. Now, back to those house rules. Aaron, can you, can you tell us how to fix it? What are these house rules that we're living by? Well, that's kind of the fun part about tonight. See, the Holy Spirit didn't give me this message with all the answers. The purpose of this message is to get us asking the right questions. Yes. And besides that, my process, just like many of yours, is still ongoing. I don't claim to have all the answers. And it's hard, if not impossible, to fix problems that you don't know that you have. See, I believe that we're in that second generation of house rules where we're not even at this point aware of everything that we've added. We, we've, the only, there's only one way to fix that. We have to take our lives and our hearts and read the word and compare it to the word with a humble heart. God, how can I do it your way? Teach me to do it more like you. And, you know, if you're looking at the Bible and you have to go and somebody tries to tell you, oh, it doesn't mean that. There's this other, you know, uh, complicated way of reading this scripture. The Bible's not complicated most of this time. I, I went to counseling with a pastor's wife and we were reading a scripture together and she said, oh, it doesn't mean that. And I didn't ever go to another counseling session with them again because the Bible means exactly what, is it, what it says. It's very plain. It's very easy. You know, um, I don't want to get into specific examples because that's the Holy Spirit's job. But trust me, it's easy. And if it says it, we just need to take it at face value and believe it and move on. And, and if, it's, if it's offending us, if, if, if it, we're pricked by it, that's the Holy Spirit talking to you. It's time to pattern your life to that, not to find a way around it, not to make a house rule, not to throw something out the window.
Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. It doesn't get any simpler than that. Ephesians 5, 25 says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Listen to this part. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and queen holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. House rules aren't just new rules we make. Sometimes they're rules we let slip over time. You know, those ones we don't like. I'd like to talk about just one tonight. One that I think that we, maybe, maybe we don't forget it, but we don't put enough emphasis on it. In Matthew 22, 35 to 40, uh, we visit with Jesus and he's, he's just got through with his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on the donkey. You know, the people have waved the palm leaves and thrown their cloaks down before him. And he's tell, telling parables and all these religious scholars are coming up to him and, and they're trying to trip him up and asking these questions. And so one of them, uh, so one of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. I don't think I've ever seen... A, a framed picture of love your neighbor as yourself hanging on somebody's wall. We've got the Ten Commandments. You know, we talk about, talk about them being taken out of the courtroom. We've got all these other things that we focus on as Christians, right? How much time do we spend on loving our neighbor as ourself? And Jesus put it right there. He said, this is just important as loving God is to love your neighbor as yourself. I, I know I don't do it the best. I mean, what, is, what does that even mean? He didn't say, love your neighbor as your brother or even love your neighbor as your child. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, one of my love languages is gifts. We learned that in class with Kent and Missy. And uh, if you judge who I love the most by the amount of presents I buy them, I love me a lot. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you all about it. She gets mad and she says she can't buy me anything for Christmas because I buy everything I want. I try to tell her there's still this other stuff I want, but she ain't hearing it. Y'all, I've got about $700 in deep sea fishing gear that I've yet to use. At my old job, I went on a few rigs where I could deep sea fish and man, I just thought that was the greatest thing ever. So I went out and bought the best stuff I could find and as much of it as I thought that I could sneak into a helicopter without somebody saying something. I bought a big expensive reel and I found a company in Oregon that manufactured multi-piece halibut rods that were as thick as broomsticks and had pulleys on them instead of eyes. And I got a fighting belt and I bought tackle. I mean, I wanted to be able to reel in jobs if he so much as looked at my hook. But you know what? Every rig I snuck it onto from that time didn't allow any fishing. And I started my new job here in Mont Bellevue about a year later. And all that stuff's hidden in the back of my closet. So if I love me like that, and I'm supposed to love my neighbors myself, I'm failing miserably. 
Kent, I just want you to know the next time you buy a bass boat, I don't have one yet. <laughs> but are we really supposed to take love your neighbor as yourself that far? Well, those who need Jesus best really threw down the gauntlet in that area. Acts 4, 32 to 35 says, all the believers were united in heart and mind and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they have. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. What I just suggested sounds pretty impossible, doesn't it? It's just too big. It can't work in our world today. It's not the culture now, right? To that I say, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. I know I can share, sell my house first and share it with all of you, right? I don't think we're all supposed to jump off that cliff we learned at our recent Today conference, I can't remember who said it, but our steps are ordered by the Lord, not our big leap of faith. It's not biblical, right? The important thing, at least for now, is that we're asking the right questions. I've gotta be better. Before I spoil myself, I need to ask God if he wants me to bless my neighbor too if I'm gonna plant flowers and spend money on landscaping for my yard, is that something would, that my neighbor would appreciate? If I'm, you know, how can, before I blow my money on myself, how would God have me use it? How can I love my neighbor as myself? How can I show the love of Jesus to somebody else? And it may not be money. We just, uh, we had a funeral uh, for my uncle's family. Um, if y'all don't know the story, ask me later. It's, it's too much to tell right now. Um, but on Monday, we had a funeral for my uncle's family and my parents shared some stories that, that really ministered to me. They went to the post office in town and you know they would just kind of go around to the places they might have been and say, see who they were and say what happened because the, the family disappeared tragically. Not disappeared, but they were off this earth. They were with Jesus tragically. And um, they would just they walked into the grocery store where my aunt worked and told them who they were and suddenly they were surrounded with employees crying and hugging them that they had never met before because of the way it happened because there was they were just gone and they went to the post office and they said who they were and they were I guess they were looking for mail is that right they were looking for any of the mail that might have been at the post office because the house wasn't even there anymore there was there's was nothing there and so they announced who they were and the lady at the post office said, oh, I've got a wreath that I made for your brother Johnny for his grave. I didn't know where to send it, but I still have it in the back of the post office. She had a wreath there waiting, just hoping somebody would walk in that she could express her appreciation and affection for my uncle. Why? Because my uncle and my aunt had a big garden and they were always sharing from their garden. They were always making jellies and jams and sharing it with their little town, apparently with the people at the post office too. They were well loved and well appreciated. Everybody knew who they served because of the little small things that they did because they loved their neighbors in that way. The Bible says that they will know us not because we vote Republican, but because of our love for one another. 
that's just one. That's just one example. If we want to see change in the world, we've got to change the way we look at the Bible. We can't read it looking for justification or ammunition. We have to look at it and instead of assuming that we already know how to play and we're just gonna look for a snippet or we're just gonna refresh this or that, we have to read it in context and, and understand it and pattern our lives after it. And it's time that we stop writing things off as too impossible or not applicable for today. And maybe, maybe it's impossible right now, but God, how can I take a step in that direction? Let's pray. Father God, if I have blind spots tonight, if anybody in this room has blind spots where they've made a house rule, if they're holding back from you things that they want to keep to themselves, if there are secret sins, God, that they've made okay, God, if, if I'm writing off your mission that you've given me as impossible tonight, God, I ask you to reveal that in this room, God, by your Holy Spirit, God, reveal to us where we might have house rules. Teach us, God, to be more like you. We want to do it your way, God. We want the real thing. Nothing else will do. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. We are so glad that you chose to tune in with us this week. We hope that today's message left you challenged, encouraged, and inspired. If you enjoyed today's message and would like to hear more, you can find us wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts, as well as on YouTube. Thanks again for listening to the DCC Sermon Podcast.